Well, good evening everyone, and a particular welcome also to those people who are listening to this on the uh, podcast. Welcome to Brighton Road. Our call to worship is taken from Psalm 42, starting at verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. We can meet with God this evening, now, whatever circumstance we may find ourselves in, however we may feel, we are called to put our hope in one who has already shown his great love for us. Unlike people, in God we can trust, and so must praise the only one who can truly save. Let's stand to sing our first hymn, Love Divine.
This evening we continue our series on the sayings of Jesus as we look at that moment when Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will never be, sorry, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Everyone is invited to meet with God. All are invited, not because any of us deserves it, but because God in his infinite love is faithful to his covenant promise of rescue. So we continue our worship as we sing number 707, Faithful God. Let's start. for this evening, taken from uh, John's Gospel, and uh, it's chapter 4, and starts at verse 1, a familiar passage. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining, um, gaining and baptising more disciples 
than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not, do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Our next song reminds us that we might not understand everything that happens in life, but we can trust in him who does. Let's stand to sing, The Lord's My Shepherd.
let us continue in our worship as we take the time now to offer up our talents, our gifts of money and our week and all that goes before us. Should we take up all of it? Lord God, you have given us so much. And you are such a generous God. And we are so grateful for all that you give to us. And we ask that you take these offerings, these tokens of our gratitude, and that you might use them. Lord, whether it was monetary, whether it was um, thinking about the, the, the week ahead and uh, or the talents that we might have, Lord, I pray that you might take them and receive them in the spirit that they are given so that they might be used to bring glory to your name. We ask these things in your precious name, Lord. Amen. Amen. What Jesus was able to offer to the Samaritan woman at the well was quite unique. The water of eternal life. And the good news is that he offers it still. The invitation is still there and it's for us to accept it. So let us sing our next song, number 334, Let Your Living Water. Let's stand.
this evening's prayers of intercession, I thought we could do things a little bit differently. We can, uh, that we might lead one another in prayer for those things, people and situations that are on our hearts. If you would like to contribute, uh, I would ask that you uh, please just raise your hand and uh, Ken very kindly will uh, bring a microphone uh, to you so that, um, so that everyone's able to hear and, uh, and uh, join and affirm with you in, in your prayer. So, let us lead one another in prayers for the wider world, our community, and those personally known to us in particular need of God's hand upon their life. Let's pray. Father, we pray for those who find themselves self-isolating in their own homes. We pray that you would give them your peace, peace of mind, heart and physical well-being. Deliver them from their fears. Pray that in your grace, their practical needs would be met. For those who know you, that they would find ways of being in your healing presence. And for us as a church, we pray that you would enable us to be mindful of those who aren't able to be here, and of our neighbours. That we might be among the many, many people who are saying, we can help, we can be there for you. We pray that your spirit would inspire generosity, compassion, love and concern. And that these would be lifelines to people in their times of need. In Jesus' name. Amen.
to bring before you those people who are suffering from mental ill health and their well-being is, is not in a good place. Oh, I think of those of uh, my colleagues at work, a number who are struggling with the, the stress that education brings and working in, in a place of education. And uh, Lord, there are so many of you, um, whether it be staff, pupils, or, or um, the wider, wider community, so many people that are inwardly um, suffering and finding it so difficult to share that with those around them. So Lord, I pray that they might have the, uh, the courage and the ability to share with someone, if they've not already done so, to, to share what um, their concerns and their feelings so that they might feel less burdened or at least be able to share that with that burden with someone else. And Lord, I also pray that they might be able to reach out to you and that they might use this as an opportunity to find out what it is to know the living God who offers them life-giving water so that uh, there is hope beyond the present circumstance. Lord, we pray for all those who we know personally, who are going through uh, difficult times, whether that be of uh, physical health or concerns about um, um, their finances or relationships. Lord, we just bring those to you now and lay them at your feet, knowing that you're a loving and caring God that knows each individual and cares and loves for each individual. Give you these prayers in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Before Tim comes and shares with us from God's Word, um, let us sing together. It's uh, number 659 As Water to the Thirsty.
fresh water. We are immensely privileged to have it on tap. Though you wouldn't know the amount some people have been buying from the supermarkets. But we all know it's essential to life. To stay healthy, we're told we should be drinking between six to eight glasses of water or fluid every day. I've read that drinking a lot helps your body deal with coronavirus. I don't know whether there's any truth in that, but I'm fairly sure it doesn't do any harm. But if you look at the Earth from outer space, you can see just how much of the Earth's surface is covered by water. 71% of the Earth's surface is covered by water. 96.5% of all the Earth's water is to be found in the oceans. But although evaporation means that water from the ocean replenishes our rivers and lakes when it rains, we can't drink the seawater because of its salt content. It's not fresh. Less than 3% of the Earth's water is fresh. And most of that is locked up in glaciers or is stored deep underground. Less than 1% of the Earth's fresh water is actually accessible to us. And that actually means that 7 billion people need to survive on this planet on the 0.007% of the Earth's water, which is fresh and accessible. That's why people talk about there being water stress in our world. Because it's not just that there are so many of us, we are actually immensely greedy and wasteful when it comes to our use of water. We eat a hamburger, I'm told it takes 630 gallons of water to make the hamburger. It's an immensely precious commodity and we should use it far more sparingly than we do. Admittedly that is hard for us to take on board given the vast quantities of rain that have continually poured down on us in recent weeks. But in a hot climate like Israel we can't fail to be aware of just how essential water is to life and health, what a precious commodity it is. So you can understand how it came about that Jesus, hot and thirsty in the middle of the day, hoped to get a drink from someone coming to draw water from the well. The water was there, but he couldn't get it. It was inaccessible to him. And so this Samaritan woman comes along. And when he asks her for a drink, she's surprised. He is a Jewish man, she is a Samaritan woman. In that culture, it's bad enough for a man and woman to be alone together. He didn't really do that kind of thing. Jesus was at the well first. And when the woman saw him there as she arrived, she may well have hesitated. Do I go to the well or not? But as the conversation continues, it becomes clear that she had nothing to lose in terms of her good reputation. Everybody locally knew just what kind of woman she was. So she came up to where Jesus was sitting, figuring that perhaps maybe it was his reputation, not hers, which was at stake. Anyway, the chances were he would simply ignore her, pretend she wasn't there. So she's a bit taken aback when he speaks, even more so when she realises from his accent that he's from Galilee. And she can't contain a surprise. How is it that you, a Jewish man, are asking me, a Samaritan woman,
for a drink of water. The animosity between these two people groups stretched back over a period of centuries, centred upon bitter disputes over where the one true sanctuary of the Lord was located, in Jerusalem or in Samaria. Such disputes reveal religion in its worst light. And Jesus makes it clear that he has no time for such questions. He says God isn't bothered about where people worship him. It's how they worship him that matters. He's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. But when the woman hears Jesus' question, give you a drink, actually it's a, it's a, it's not a very polite request, give me, give me a drink please, or whatever, it's not a question, it's more of a request. Her surprise intensifies, he's asking her for a drink, and she's shocked because not only did Jews and Samaritans have no dealings with each other, but one of the crucial things they never did was drink from the same vessel. You didn't do that. You didn't eat from the same plate, you didn't drink from the same cup. In a culture with a big emphasis on purity, and where each group regarded the other one as being unclean, the prospect of contaminating yourself by drinking from a cup belonging to a Samaritan, if you were a Jew, or vice versa, was unthinkable. You think about all the current considerations we are contemplating about, you know, the distance you have to keep between each other and no contact and not, you know, touching the same kind of stuff. You magnify that and you get an idea of how, whoa, we just don't have any dealings with those kind of people. And yet here is Jesus, a Jewish man, saying to a Samaritan woman, can I have a drink from your bucket, please? Unthinkable. So unthinkable that she can't avoid expressing her amazement at his request. And then Jesus, I was going to say muddies the waters even further, but he compounds her confusion by saying, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me for a drink. And that, that doesn't make any sense at all. He's the one who's thirsty after all. She's the one with the bucket. The well was deep. What was he supposed to be doing? No wonder she was puzzled. And what did Jesus offer her? The translations tend to agree that he said that if she asked him for it, he would have given her living water. And that's an accurate, but maybe an over-literal translation of his words. Because the phrase living water was often used simply as a way of referring to running water, or mainly fresh water. A couple of times in Genesis, you get references to wells containing fresh water and how valuable and important they were. So, as so often in John's Gospel, Jesus is speaking with a double meaning here. His words can be taken to mean fresh water, or, there's another side to his meaning, it could be living water, life-giving water. But the woman, put yourself in her shoes for a moment, they're by a well, he says, if you'd known who I was, I'd have given you fresh water. And that sounds a bit insulting, actually. If you are having this conversation by her well, outside her village, which their ancestor Jacob dug, which has served him and his family and his flocks and herds, and then for generations, are you saying that our water isn't fresh? Who do you think you are? Are you 
greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well in the first place? You haven't got water. Stop making insulting remarks about ours. But Jesus responds by saying, well, the problem with your water is that it's only going to quench your thirst for a while. You have to keep on coming back for more, don't you? And the woman, knowing how arduous it was to have to lug water home from the well every day, thinks she knows all too well what he means by that. Give me some of this water so I don't have to keep on coming to this well. But says Jesus, if you drink my water, you'll never be thirsty again, because the water I supply is a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And Jesus is using water here as a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of what God's Spirit is like. John makes that clear for us later in his Gospel, where Jesus again talks about streams of living water flowing within us. And John spells it out for his readers that Jesus is talking about the Spirit here. But the woman in John 4 has a grasp that Jesus is talking in metaphorical terms. She still thinks he's talking about giving her the kind of water that means she won't have to come to the well every day. So as enlightened readers, we can smile at her obtuseness and her failure to get the point. But let's pause for a moment and ask, why does Jesus choose to compare the Spirit of God to a spring of water welling up to eternal life? Why is that a good picture of what the Spirit does and what the Spirit's like? And at one level, the comparison is straightforward. I started by thinking about how fresh water is essential for life. And Jesus is saying, the gift of the Spirit is essential for life. For eternal life. If you want to live forever, you need the Spirit of God in your heart. The Spirit is the drink which bestows eternal life. If the Spirit of the living God is in you, you will live forever. Paul spells out the meaning of the metaphor for us in more prosaic language in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, sorry, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Spirit is the agent of resurrection. Raise Jesus from the dead. If the spirit's in you, he will raise you from the grave as well. The spirit Jesus gives us is the spirit of life, of new life, of eternal life. So what better metaphor is there than to talk about the Spirit as life-giving water. If the Spirit who one day will renew the whole of God's creation is living in you, then the Spirit is already imparting something of the life of that new creation into you here and now. Outwardly we may be wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed on a daily basis. The Christian has a never-ending supply of God's life welling up inside their heart. And that makes a hugely positive difference to our outlook on life and death, who we are and how we live. If we have the Spirit of God, then in the midst of death, we know we are in life. If the fountain of the Spirit of God is springing up 
inside our hearts. And Jesus uses almost effervescent language here. He's not talking about a water source where water from an underground aquifer seeps gently to the surface. He talks about water springing up like a fountain, bubbling up, overflowing. It's the same word that's used of the lame man who's healed in Acts chapter 3 verse 8, where he springs up, rushes into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. It's a, it's a lively word. It's a word that talks about the quick movement of a living thing. And so translations just talk about the spirit being like a fountain, springing up or gushing up for eternal life. Capture this well. It's the exuberance of the spirit that we find. That actually is, is expressed so well in the liveliness of charismatic or Pentecostal worship. The image Jesus uses evokes the image of a, a swollen, rushing stream, lively, rather than a trickle or a stationary canal. There's a vibrancy, as you would expect, about the spirit of life. And the same word intriguingly is used in the Old Testament about the spirit rushing upon people. It rushes upon Saul and he ends up prophesying. It rushes upon Samson, so he tears a lion apart with his bare hands. Or he attacks and kills 30 Philistines. Or he breaks new ropes like, ropes like charged flax and strikes down a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. It's a picture of power, of dynamism, of might. Think of the immense amount of damage caused by the recent floods in the UK and you see what a powerful force water is. And the Spirit has the same power. When the Spirit comes into our lives, brings life, the life of God and the power of God. And so just as people and objects could be carried away by water, so people too could be carried away when the Spirit of God rushes upon them. Spirit brings new life and power. And Jesus said to this woman at the well, if you understood who you were talking to, you'd ask me, and I'd give you living water. What about you? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know who it is the woman's talking to at the world? The Son of the living God. The one who baptises people with the Holy Spirit. The one who brings us out of death into life. The one who releases the life-changing power of God into our hearts. Who drenches us with the life-giving water of the Spirit of God. So if your heart has become dry and lifeless and empty, if you are in a spiritual or an emotional drought, if you need to be brought up out of life, out of death into life, then come to Jesus and ask him to give you his life-giving water. To switch on the tap. The pressure's there. The supply is there. It isn't rationed. There's more than enough for everyone and plenty for you. 
in a few moments of quiet, why don't you turn to him? Open your heart to him and ask him to release the life-giving water of his Holy Spirit into your heart. A few moments quiet and I'll lead us in prayer. the end of that episode, the Samaritans say, we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. And later in John's Gospel, Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And so, Lord, because we know who you are, we ask that you would bring new life to us where we are worn and tired. Would you bring new love where we have turned hard-hearted? Would you bring forgiveness where we feel hurt and where we have wounded others? And would you bring the joy and freedom of your Holy Spirit where we are prisoners of ourselves? Lord, we turn to you and ask that you would turn on the tap of your living water and fill our hearts. Amen. So we've seen together 215, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest.
place in the corner. Glad to talk and pray with you. But let's share together in the words of the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all.